So things very far out in the universe was something I wanted to focus on and to also sort of provide perspective. What does all this stuff mean, right? What, what does it mean to me personally? What, is it, what does it mean to humanity? And so I think that that's what happens. You, you find some intelligent life out there. Well, we're going to have to make a couple tweaks, man, to our, not, not to the foundation, but to our understanding. Hi, everybody. In this episode, Dustin raids my Thursday night Twitch stream on Clear Skies Network to record an episode on the philosophy of astronomy. And if you like this discussion and topics like this, then I would encourage you to tune in every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on the Clear Skies Network channel, and we will have conversations like this every single week. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Space Junk, a weekly podcast dedicated to the amazing hobby of amateur astronomy. Each week, we'll bring you interesting and fun discussions with an eye towards providing you with the latest information and advice on the tools, gadgets, software, and techniques for maximizing your enjoyment of the night sky. Your hosts are Tony Darnell from DeepAstronomy.Space and Dustin Gibson from OPT Telescopes, a world leader in telescopes and accessories. Well, hey, Dustin, it's good to see you. We are back with another episode of Space Junk, and it's just the two of us this time. We're going to be just yakking at each other. Uh, do we have any idea what we're going to say? It's <laughs> the are best we? intro I've ever heard in my life. That's right. It's like, uh, are we making this up as we go along? Uh, so, no. uh, yeah. Is there a reason yeah. we're doing this, Dustin? Is there a reason uh, we're doing yeah. this? Yeah, and I love every being once on in Twitch a while, now. Every once in a while, listeners know this. We get together, just two of us, and we just talk about stuff, right? And and uh, yeah, those are the best. It's the best. It times. ends up being yeah. I have fun doing them. So yeah, when we plan it, they are a lot less offensive and generally better <laughs> in every way. So tonight's going to be a More fun coherent. One. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So let's pick a topic that's a little bit edgy and has the potential to piss people off. And let's that's do right. it yeah. tired <laughs> and yeah, late at night. If you're and... asking yourself, are these guys drunk more than twice, then you might want to say, yes, they, they probably yeah. are. You know what's bad is we're not, man. We're not. I'm not, at least. That's, no, that's... no, me either. Me either. I'm if anything, just... I've got too many energy drinks on me right now. Yeah, so. I'm literally drinking one right now, man, and it's 7... Yeah. 15 at night but you know it's just uh the sun the sun took it out of me man so and i you know we're talking about philosophy we're talking about astronomy and how the two are related and what inspired me to call you midday today so these are always very last minute guys um when when we do the ones that we want to do it's because like we we've been talking about doing one that's astronomy and philosophy or actually a series of them for a long time now but it's one that you have to be a little bit careful about how you go about it. And, you know, because the, the point is never to upset people. But I think with this conversation, we just have to let me just say it up front. This is not meant to upset anyone, but people hold their their beliefs near and dear, obviously, for good reason. But, you know, if someone disagrees with you or if you disagree with what either of us say, it is not we're not saying this to offend you. Right. So I'll just say that up front. But right. I think. The best thing here, and for the people in the chat as well on Twitch, it's just, let's just have a great discussion where we can talk about philosophy openly without people getting their feelings hurt by it, right? I've found that, I've done two episodes of this already on the stream, and yeah. uh, there there can be triggers, right? There could be trigger phrases that one says uh, during this whole thing uh, that can get people set off. But you know what? We're, and it's also important to realize we're not going to resolve anything. 
in these conversations. Nothing yeah. ever really gets resolved in philosophy. That's one of the good things about it. And it's one of the bad things. I mean, these aren't, the point isn't to answer the questions. The point is to have given rational thought to some of these big questions that uh, help frame our thinking. Right. And that's what um, the whole goal is, at least for me. Now I started deep astronomy in 2006 for the deep part was supposed to have a double connotation. One of them was I very much like deep space objects. They've always been much more interesting to me. The Hubble deep field changed my life. Uh, so things very far out in the universe was something I wanted to focus on and to also sort of provide perspective of our place in the universe. That was one reason. But the other one was to think more about, you know, what does all this stuff mean, right? What, what does it mean to me personally? What does it, what does it mean to humanity? And so I've been thinking about this for, you know, since 2006 and ways of trying to bring this topic into the, the realm of just our place in the universe. And so that's sort of been kind of deep astronomy's mission from the beginning. And, you know, always, always do this with a eye toward, uh, with an eye towards, uh, getting perspective out there, you know, where you are. So, um, yeah, I and, like that. I like that about deep astronomy because, you know, you know, you're going to talk about astronomy, but it's like the TV pitch where you're like, but wait, there's more, you know? Right. And then, what does it mean? then you bring it, what does it, then you bring in the philosophy. Yeah. yeah. And what does it mean exactly. for us? And does any of this stuff matter? You know, cause a lot of people are doing space news. I do space news, but it's like, you know, I, that's only, that's just saying stuff that's going on. Is there, is there something else that I could bring to the party? And so I've been thinking about this sort of stuff a lot. And uh, your Twitch stream on it is what inspired me to say, you know what, it's time we uh, we do this, you know, because we uh, because of the desert, you know, we got pushed back a little bit to release this week's podcast. And so I just thought, man, the, the streams you did this week were so good. The uh, or the philosophy ones, you know, like that's so good. And I feel like um, that discussion needs to be had more because I don't think the line between the two is as wide as people think it is. I really don't. I think astronomy and philosophy are so closely related that it's almost inseparable, right? One is to define the universe. That is the goal. One is to define the universe and the other is to define our universe, right? And so I think that it's a very narrow separation between the two because you can't do one without the other because there's no such thing as true objectivity in the human experience. You know, there's no way to, to really do it. You can't get out of your own perspective no matter what. And science is the best tool we have to come close. But have you ever had a dream you weren't a part of? Have you ever, have you ever <laughs> dreamed, you know, have you ever dreamed from That's someone else's question. perspective? You can't. You can't. I guess no. Yeah, I guess I haven't. You never wake up and you're just me. Right? <laughs> like you're oh, trapped. I had this dream where I was dusted. Ah, yeah. What a what a nightmare. You're you're trapped in your own experience. Yeah, and because of that, point. you know, because of that, the best two tools that I think we have to define the universe is astronomy and philosophy. And I think they are tied together at the hip. That's right. And all at every point in the history of astronomy, uh, it, back even from when it was in its astrology days, when people were more uh, considered astrologers, uh, you know, throughout human history, this study, this, this looking up that we do and try and understand the motions that we see in the heavens or the, what are those 
points of light up in the sky. What is the moon doing and the sun and all of these things? The more we have studied these throughout our history, at every stage of our evolution, they have caused real crises in our understanding of the universe and our place in it. I mean, you don't have to look any further than anybody looking at a supernova uh, in the night sky or a comet passing through. Uh, These used to be terrifying events. And then science itself, astronomy, the study of astronomy from, I guess you could start with Copernicus, but that's probably not fair. You could probably go all the way back to the Greeks. Uh, and, And there's always been these disruptions in culture and in our society because of things astronomy find, found out. You know, Copernicus, Galileo, Newton, and, and now today it's even more pronounced because now we are learning things about the universe that are so counterintuitive that we are actually questioning reality itself. So some of the things we explore in these dreams are things like if we did find an intelligent life somewhere else, what would be the religious ramifications of that? What would religion think of the discovery of another civilization or even another bacteria? And so we talked about that. And then, you know, the many worlds theory of of quantum mechanics, that was last Tuesday, where we just said, you know, (laughs) what is even science anymore? The, the, The lines are being blurred in so many things now that are, that I think we should talk about these things more. And what are the implications of an infinite number of universes being created that we could never interact with? You know, is God in every one of those? Right, exactly. And I think that like it's it's an evolving, you know, all things evolve. All things over time evolve. The universe itself is evolving, but so do religions. And so as information comes out, all known religions have evolved. And so I think that that's what happens. You you find some intelligent life out there. Well, we're going to have to make a couple tweaks, man, to our, not not to the foundation, but to our understanding. Right. And so that's why I think the two are related, because one gives you true objective information. Right. And then the other is that applied information based on experience. Philosophy is dependent on experience, whereas science, all science, but specifically astronomy, because we're going to have this conversation with one hand tied behind our back and only use the science of astronomy. You know, um, because I think the other was just make it too complicated. We get into biology and everything else. The implications grow. <laughs> and I, so, I'm not even qualified. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I think what we have to do is just look at this and say, OK, so the goal is to answer the age old human questions. Right. Whether we're doing it objectively or subjectively. And those questions are about who we are, where we are, when we are, what we are, how we are. And then philosophy takes it one step further and says why we are, yeah. right? But both of them set, their, set the bar of we're going to answer these questions in every single thing that has ever been done in either on that path has been toward the goal of answering one of those questions. Every single bit of momentum. Do you think things have fundamentally changed over the history of um, modern civilization. Let's start with the Greeks on to now. Do you think anything has fundamentally changed, regardless of our knowledge level of astronomy, in our view of our place in the universe over these millennia? Yeah, uh, of where we are, do I think that... All right, so you're yeah, asking... do you think we've changed much since, I don't know, Aristotle's time or Plato? Plato. Have we, have, we, have we fundamentally changed what we think of ourselves and the universe around us? 
I think it's just expanded and it expands with information. And, and this is the information age, right? And so, I mean, we're just pummeled with information at every turn. Um, but I think that's what it does is it just makes the pool deeper. You know, we're still swimming in the same pool. We haven't answered or just solid, solidly answered any of those questions where we can say, let's close the door on that one. But that's what science is so very good at, is finding the things that are wrong. It doesn't necessarily find the thing that's exactly right. It's just really good at disproving things. And so it slowly closes the door on theories that were developed and held on to out of tradition. Instead, opening up new questions and new insights onto the direction and how it changes over time. I think we're still swimming in the same pool with the same questions, but I think the pool got a hell of a lot deeper with the scientific method. <laughs> that's a good, yeah, that's a great way to put it. And you're right. I, I, I'm always astonished at, I think about this a lot and I am always astonished at the fact that I am not asking anything new. None of the questions I'm asking seem amazingly important to me right now, but this is stuff, you know, uh, Thomas Aquinas has talk, asked about or or talked about and uh, philosophers throughout the ages. Plato's talked about some of this stuff. So none of these things are new and have been thought of by some pretty some pretty smart people in the past. And so I I think that it what, what we I think what you're saying and I think I agree is that what we know isn't true anymore. What we know isn't has definitely improved over the years. So we can look back at, say, what the ancient Egyptians might have thought about the night sky uh, and what we know now. We know a lot about what that they thought was was not true. Um, so we have yeah. we have canceled out a lot of things uh, right. for sure. Um, and, and I agree. I think I think now some of the with and people you hear scientists say this all the time. Every time we have a new discovery, <laughs> it some it raises more questions than it answers. Right. So it's like, oh, my God. Now now we know that there are more planets around other stars than there are stars in our galaxy. Uh, but, you know, why? You know, and, and how are they formed and, and what, what kind of what's their distributions and what are they what are their you know various characteristics? So all these different we answer one question. Yes, there are other planets around other stars, but then we have a hundred more <laughs> that, mm -hmm. that 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 led to. So yeah, and you know we don't know what we don't know, and both because of that have to be to a certain extent built on assumption, right? Because we assume that these things will stay the same, but I think that's what made Douglas Adams' books so incredible <laughs> was he took that assumption and just laughed at it. Right. Yeah, he said yeah. everything we know, everything we've proven in our very short time with this scientific method, everything could change tomorrow just because what we think we know, we don't imagine an ant's experience. Right. An ant knows for sure that its experience is always the same. It's, it's on the ground. But now take that same ant and put it on an airplane. We know. While that ant is flying on an airplane that is 30,000 feet above the earth, right? Or wherever it is. But the ant's experience didn't change at all because on the scale that the ant lives, it can't comprehend its reality. It can only comprehend its experience. And so we don't know reality. We have not defined reality. We've defined experience by trial and error and observation. And so I think that you know, to a, to a large extent, we, we just simply have to accept the fact that both have this, um, have this, you know, problem that's kind of built into them that they have to be built on assumption because of the way time works essentially. And we haven't had enough of it to know exactly if things can change and how they can change. But the second thing is that we just simply don't know what we don't know, you know? And so we just have to keep plugging away and proving things wrong 
it's the best system we have as humans. I mean, how old is are humans on the evolutional timeline? Right. I, I genuinely don't know this answer, but I know it's, it's around super, a million years. It depends on how you measure the start of humanity. But let's right. Say and that's the hard years. part with evolution. Yeah. Right. But let, let's say that it's a million years. How old is the scientific method? And so not very old, you know, not very old. When you look at our, our timeline, how much got done before that? And how long did it take after to stand on the moon? Right. You know, and so I think it's the best tool we have ever developed to pursue real answers to the philosophical questions. But I don't think there's a break between the two. I think that science serves philosophy, not the other way around, because ultimately we are trapped within a perspective and an experience. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I mean, certainly philosophy takes as its inputs the latest knowledge that we have at any given time and formulates some manner of the answer to the question of why, or, or at least what does it mean uh, that we know this now? And I think mm-hmm. uh, I think you're, that's a good way of putting it. I think I think science does do that. It's an input to philosophy. But uh, um, what I said at the top of this was that a lot of people, this is both a feature and a bug uh, about a philosophy, is that nothing really ever gets resolved. But what what it does do is it teaches us how to think rationally about our place in the universe. And that's the thing I get away. I come away with the most. And I can even learn that from religion. Religion can teach me that. Uh, oddly enough, people think that, you know, there's a, there's this feeling that religion is all based on just faith, that it's just not that the faith isn't based on anything. It's all just magic. And that's some, that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, there are, and there's, and there are plenty of really good rational thinkers, uh, in the realm of, of religion that I respect quite a bit. And so, you know, I get a lot from that. It teaches me how to think outside of science because there are many questions that I find, I would love an answer to that are not scientific questions and science can never even hope to answer them. You know, questions like, is there an objective morality? That one's bugging me to death, you know, mm-hmm. or is it, is, you know, and, and if there is, then why is there an objective reality? Uh, I mean, a morality that we must, that th- there is an objective right or wrong to the universe. Uh, and uh, these are questions science can't address, but philosophy at least can use science to help frame that answer. And that's what I've been struggling with is stuff like that. So, and science, scientists, I think it's like we, we almost carry this obligation to carry the flag, and I think we carry it poorly, like as a group, you know, globally, not any one community, but globally, because of the resistance towards things like religion and faith. I'm not a religious person, right? But I have a very uh, great respect for faith, and I think that faith is what makes humans explorers. It is the thing that's built into people that allows them to drive forward. And if you think scientists don't have faith, and even the scientists themselves that say that, you're crazy. Look, here's the difference. You want to know the difference between belief and faith? Ask an astronaut, right? They can believe that rocket can carry carry them to the moon. Doesn't mean they have the faith to climb into that damn thing and shoot, you know? It doesn't mean they have the faith in the process that it's actually going to do it. And I think that you have to understand, like, what drives us there is not only, you know, believing in these processes, but actually having faith in whatever direction it is. I think it's incredibly healthy. And I don't think that religion is the negative thing that it comes up often to be, um, you know, in, in conversations about science at all. I think if anything, it amplifies the human experience for people. And, and I would even go a little bit further and say that science 
is it depends on faith as a foundation for its success. It, it does. Imagine, absolutely. for example, that you're a scientist and, and you're a patent clerk and you're working in in uh, on a, on a theory that you have uh, no idea if it's right or not. The math seems to be working out, but you 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 have a you you have a faith in your idea. That's where it starts, and then you flesh out that idea. Uh, based on faith, into more of a uh, rigorous examination, and then off. Now you've got, you're off and running with a theory that can be observed and maybe valid, validated in some way. But the starting points are always these very irrational things, like you have a, an inspiration or a creative idea, and then you have faith in that idea enough so that you build on it, and then you go. Science depends on that kind of stuff. And it's uh, it has nothing at all to do with science, but and yet its existence is directly tied to these things. And so, um, yeah, I think that more credit should be given to that and uh, and to that whole way of uh, looking at the universe that is not just observation, validation, falsification, things like that. Yeah, and then so ultimately we have to we have to set a marker, right? Like, you know, for all of these questions, the who, what, when, how, where, like, we have to set a marker for what does it mean to actually have this answered? And and so to what end, right, is the great philosophical question, to what end? And I think that we have to really kind of keep that stuff forward if we're not going to, you know, fall into a nihilistic approach to this, which is just kind of, well, nothing matters. And it doesn't even matter if you answer this question, or if you even ask it, it doesn't, nothing matters. Right. Like if anything, I think there has to be a little I, I more. I fall into that sometimes, you know, you do. I, I do. I, I'll admit you do, it. Yeah. I was like, do I, do I, do, what, who cares? We're, <laughs> you know, we're close. I can never go to Proxima Centauri B. Yeah. I can never go there. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're close on that, but it's, I'm not, I'm certainly not a nihilist. Like if anything, I think I, I lean more towards like existentialism because I feel like it's the optimist version of nihilism. Right. You can still accept the fact that things don't have a built in meaning, which is very different than purpose. Right. Which is kind of what we're talking about is purpose. The scientific piece would be purpose. But I think that, you know, with existentialism, there's no sitting back and just saying nothing matters. It's like, OK, so let's say that the worst case scenario for the word meaning that life has no meaning. That's the nihilistic approach. The existentialist approach would be unless you give it one. Right. But there's an open door to create meaning out of things. And I think that that's exactly like, that's the big difference. Uh, and I, I yeah, you hit it right on the head. And that's what science gives you. Science gives you the tools you need to tell you to answer that question of meaning for yourself. Right. Exactly. Well, we that we now know that there are more planets in our galaxy than there are stars. That one fact alone means to me that my place in the universe has fundamentally shifted to a, a world now where there are many, many possibilities of life. And so, uh, you know, and I know this now because of what science has told me. I've taken these tools, these this information, this knowledge, and form my own answer to the question of meaning for me. And I think that that is a very individualistic, uh, you got to do it for yourself. Or maybe you can maybe extend it to a, a group of people, a cult maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and there it is. <laughs> so now we come to the part of the episode where I start recruiting for my cult. <laughs> Glad you're wearing an OPT shirt on here when you said that one. Uh, yeah, man. <laughs> so, you know, I think you're right, though. Like, meaning 
you know, you mentioned can be kind of like solitary, meaning can be, it can be for an individual, whereas purpose is almost, you know, because I think those two are kind of used interchangeably and I don't think they should be. Um, oh, that's interesting. And so, Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I think that meaning can be like, um, God, what's a good way to put this? I'm, I'm digging myself into a challenge here, but I think we can tackle this one. Um, you know, let's say like purpose, the way I see it would be kind of a precursor to meaning. Does that make sense at all? Like, like purpose would be assigning a justification for existence. So if something has a purpose, like, like what's the purpose of a hammer? You could be like, well, it's to bash nails in. Right. But then what, if you ask the same question, like, well, what's the meaning of this hammer? You'd have to be like, well, shit, I got to talk to the hammer. (laughs) I got to know because like you have to like it's a it's a more personal thing, whereas purpose is dependent on its relationship to something else. And that's with everything. I can't think of any situation where something's purpose. It's like like whether even in religion, when people say like, well, God has a purpose for me or God has a plan for me. I think like it's in its relationship to our surroundings or to other people or to some change, whereas meaning isn't. Like the meaning of life would be independent of that purpose and would would exist a level above that. Does that make sense? So you're saying purpose feeds into meaning or the other way around? I think that, yeah, purpose feeds into me. I think that okay. meaning, so purpose, you, like you couldn't have a meaning without purpose, but I do think you could have purpose and not necessarily have a meaning. Like you could say that your purpose is. Following your analogy then, a, 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 a hammer has an intrinsic purpose and its meaning follows from that. It's a tool that is used for things. A hammer doesn't have a building. meaning. That's that's exactly what I'm saying. Like a hammer doesn't. Yeah, so, so okay, but, but so if you have a, um, uh, an intrinsic purpose that sounds a lot like fate to me and that's not what you mean no if no I, I think like, that i don't think people have intrinsic purposes i think they're derived the other way around i was good where i was going with this was i think it's the opposite that meaning feeds into purpose you 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 what you've learned about the universe goes into what it means to you and from that you take that knowledge and its meaning and it's to use that drive and impetus for your purpose in life, which is self-defined. So I would kind of work at it in a different way. Well, I guess the reason I'm going to that is just because we started with the existentialism conversation, which is, you know, if you want life to have a meaning, give it one, right? So like, what's the meaning of life? Giving life a meaning. That is the meaning of life, right? That, that'd be the existentialism approach or ex- existentialist approach. But along those lines, it feels like, well, then purpose would be that justification for existence, Right. So if you're asking, why does this thing exist? That's its purpose. Right. Its purpose would answer that question. But then meaning would be the value that we place on that existence. So it would have to, uh, you know, existence would precede or, yeah, would precede essence. Right. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Or, or yeah, am I yeah, getting I too, so. too lost in this? I, I think that we're both getting the same sort of to the same point, maybe slightly differently. I mean, we're talking about vocabulary words. Yeah. So ultimately, <laughs> you know, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but ultimately I do think that that's one of the limiting factors, right? Like you the limiting factors of our understanding of all of this stuff end up being scale, which is what brings it back to space. It's what brought you into it. Every time we talk about it, you talk about the scale, which is just like this incomprehensible scale just opens your mind to 
what is near infinite possibility. And that is like one of the draws is that that also means infinite challenge. And I think intellectuals are drawn to that because it's an unending challenge. No matter what you do, you can get better, but never actually achieve. Like this is the unclimbable mountain but you can always keep climbing. And I think people love that, you know, but that would still be one of the the limiting factors for our comprehension would be scale. And then of course, vocabulary, vocabulary is limited. We don't think about it, but we don't have ways to express our thoughts. And if you don't have a way to express it, can you fully understand it? Right. If there's no way to express something, even to yourself, then the vocabulary can be the limiting factor because we have to define it before we can express it. And so yeah. vocabulary can be a challenge. Well, yeah. And, the, and some of these concepts, like you just said, are the, that and that brings us to the current state of a lot of a lot of astronomy right now is that we are having a very difficult time not only finding the words for what's going on, but being able to visualize any of it, right? This idea of infinity, for example, the idea of a big bang. And then prior to a big bang, there was this inflationary period that by definition, when it, when it stopped, a big bang occurred. All of this stuff is impossible for a human brain to have any context for. And, you know, this thing, this ability of of going past a, uh, the event horizon of a black hole and finding yourself in a singularity laws of physics break down. Uh, these, all of these concepts become really tough to think about. And the one that drive keeps me up at night is the one that quantum mechanics tells us that until the wave function collapses, all of the stuff that it says can happen is true. It's actually really happening. The cat is both alive and dead. That's its state. It's both of those things. Um, in, so in explain quantum that. mechanics, what do, what do you mean? So, uh, in quantum mechanics, the nature of reality is described by a wave function, Schrodinger's equation, and it is a distribution of probabilities. These things that can happen uh, in a given observation, right? Or in, and it is an actual infinite, uh, an infinite probability. All things can happen in a in a wave function. But then when you so, for example, you have the cat. There's a cat in the box, and the box could either be alive or dead, uh, and you haven't looked yet, so you don't know for sure. Quantum mechanics is saying, before you look, right now, that cat is actually both alive and dead. When you open the box and look inside, the wave function has collapsed into one observation. It's either alive or dead, cannot be both. And the collapse of that wave function has determined your reality at that moment. Where it collapsed, where in the probability it collapsed is dependent on the parameters of of Schrodinger's equation. (laughs) It's possible you could find something, you could find a dog in there. Uh, That's how weird the Schrodinger's equation is. I mean, anything, an infinite possibility of things can happen. Mm -hmm. And they're not as likely, some aren't as likely as others, but anything can happen. And that's what keeps me up at night. How can this be real? How can it all be there? How can all possibilities be there? And on Tuesday, we talked about the um, uh, multi-worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics, where the wave function does not collapse. What what happens when you open the box and the wave function does not collapse? Well, Mm -hmm. now what you've done, instead of seeing a either an alive or a dead cat, what you've done is you've broken into two universes, one of which the cat's alive and the other which is cat is dead. And both of those universes now have branched off into another 
uh, and to each other, and you can never ever see the other universe. And, and that's such a bummer when that happens. Oh, I know, man. It really brings me down. And, Every and, and, single time. And, and you can't. And what's worse is you can't ever test this idea. And yet we're calling this science. And so I have a lot of questions about this, right? And this is the kind of thing I'm, I wouldn't say it's a crisis of, of science because it isn't. But, you know, we're going to figure this out. But, you know, to, right now, my brain, we're going about what I can visualize it isn't that. Okay. Right. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm back to either an alive or a dead cat, but not both. And so, uh, that's, that's the thing that I think our biology is going to ultimately limit us into what we end up knowing about the universe. And I don't know, I don't know what can change that. What if we can't learn things past relativity? What if relativity is not the end, but it's the end of what we can understand. Do you ever think about that? Like, what if we can't comprehend anything past relativity? What if our brains, our, our biology limits us? Are we, and we're stuck here with nothing ever going faster than the speed of light and, and event horizons and, and singularities everywhere. You know, what, what if that's all we can do? But that's not all there is, but that's all we're going to be able to do. Do you ever think about that? Because I do. Humanity um, may be limited by itself in what it can understand. Yeah, I don't know, man. I I just feel like I'm not wired that way. You know, I feel like, like I think None it's an interesting. Yeah, I think it's an interesting thought, and it's something that obviously it could be a possibility, right? It could be. Um, I just don't think that we're ever going to find the wall. I don't. I think that. Um, you know, unless there is the great filter, which we've covered in detail, we don't have to mm -hmm. go back through it, but unless that's the case, I think that we will continue to grow and our understanding of the universe around us and our understanding of our place in the universe will grow with it. I think that all of them are, you know, related in that way. I, th I think that it's a positive correlation. Okay. All right. Um, I hope you're right. I do. Um, there doesn't seem to be a lot happening in, 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 in science for the last 50 years. I mean, we haven't really made any more huge link leaps. I would even go back a hundred years. Um, relativity seems to be the last big step forward we've made. And, um, everything else has been embellishments on that same theory, but there hasn't been a quantum leap of knowledge, uh, beyond that, that I can think of. Maybe you guys in the chat can think of somebody uh, that's done something amazing since Einstein. Um, you know, maybe what Richard Feynman's done with, with QED and things like that. But I don't know if that's a quantum leap like relativity was, you know. We had Newton's mechanics and, and Newton's laws, and then we had Einstein, right? That was huge. Um, we haven't made a leap like that in quite a while. So I'm, I'm starting to wonder uh, if we can. What if we can't? What if, what if it's yeah. hard? What if it's too hard to figure out? Yeah. We're just like, man, this is difficult. Let's not this do is this. really tough, man. Yeah. Let's, let's bring in the chat though. That's one of the benefits of being here on yeah. Twitch. So let's bring in the chat. I've got David here. Uh, he's saying, um, our machines will be smarter than us very soon. They will carry that torch forward, like it or not. What do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. That's a, that's a Ray Kurzweil thing to say uh, about this idea that we're going to basically put all of our uh, a, a copy of our neurons and who we are, our personality into basically our cell phones. And then we'll be able to uh, continue thinking about things at an electronic level uh, and, and 
build Android bodies and, and all of this stuff to carry us forward. Uh, the problem with that in my mind is what bugs me about that is that, yeah, it may happen, but, um, what does that mean to who we are? You know, who are we if that is a possibility? Are, is a human being nothing more than a collection of the neurons that are firing in their brain at any given time and all of the cells that are distributing and doing things in their body and all the, the hormone levels that are going on at various parts of your body are, is that all we are? Those could probably be replicated. Mm-hmm. But what if we have a soul? I mean, will that get transferred? And I mean, you know, science doesn't have a lot to say about the soul. So is that all we are, I guess, is my worry. And, you know, is, are we just a collection of things that can be recorded and then put into an electronic memory somewhere and then activated into a robot that we can walk around and live forever in? Is that all we are? And then what does that mean for, for our identity? We are so used to being a biological creature. We're used to the idea of birth and death. And those concepts go away when you put yourself into an android. Yeah, and those, oh, those concepts, those concept, the only place that I feel like we can find answers to those questions is space. You know, it's like we have to understand. It's like the, the question, who are we? You, How are you going to answer that if you don't know the others, if you don't know where you are? If you can't even start there, where am I? I'm going to answer who? The purpose-driven <laughs> questions. Yeah, I'm going to answer yeah. that without even knowing where no, I am no, no, or no. This when. This isn't purpose-driven. It's not purpose-driven. It's an actual empirical question. Who are we? What are? What constitutes a human being? Can science answer that question fully? Is my is was was what I want to know. Can we study ourselves enough? Observe ourselves enough that we can say definitively, this is a human being, and this is all we are. Is that is that something yeah. science can do? I don't know. But I, something about it doesn't sit right with me, and I can't tell you why. Something about that bugs me, you know? So Yeah, and it, it's really challenging because it has to be, at, at some level, we all, whether we know it or not, believe that humans are more, that we are more. That's a, that's a better word. Right. Are more. It makes it sound like I'm, you know, an alien. Talking down on everyone. You humans. <laughs> you humans are you so humans. limited. Yeah. <laughs> oh, limited human. I am Zorlan, and I am way yeah. better than you. Yeah, we all believe, though, that we are, you know, we are greater than the sum of our parts, right? If we go down to the cellular level, we have to be greater than the, the sum of our parts. And when you're going through chemistry in school, at some point it hits everybody that you can break anything down. Because, you know, it's construction through reduction is the, you know, the, the way that chemistry is done. You break everything well, down into its code. Yeah. It's the way that I feel like, you know, it's the way everything in my life, I, I feel like my business, everything, everything I go about, I try to find the system and the root of that system to understand it. And chemistry is what taught me that, is that if you break things down into their component parts, you don't end up understanding you know, the terminology, the vocabulary, the, I can memorize this for a day, you understand the system. And then it doesn't matter what you bring into that system. You understand how it will affect the system because you understand the system. And so that's what I love about chemistry as a foundation for science or for everything, honestly. Yes. But in chemistry, 
the sum of the chemicals is not greater than the reaction. All of it is conserved, right? So when you break chemistry down into its components, it's all accounted for. The energy, the, the, the chemicals, the atoms, all of it's accounted for right down to the electrons. Everything is there uh, and subatomic particles. And that's all it is. But you're saying, and I think I agree, is that we are not just the sum of those things. If you add up yeah. everything in a human being, you get an answer that is a little bit greater than what we can actually see by science. Right. And, and we if know that's that. true, then something's not being conserved because there is everything in the universe is conserved. You can't add or take away anything. So, so what is not conserved here? Is it being? Is it consciousness? What is it that is extra? Well, it clearly doesn't account for identity, for one thing. Because let's say, let's say, Tony, I mean, you're every, so you right now, we break you down into every cell in your body, right? Mm -hmm. Every atom in your body. We break you down and we say, oh, if you have all of these cells, these cells that are here on this table and you put them together in this order, that's Tony Darnell. Okay. But now what happens if we take one cell out and we put a different cell in? Are you still Tony Darnell? And now we consider that cells, die off and new cells grow all the time in your That's, body. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. And so if every single cell through your lifetime, which does, in your body changes, if every I think it single happens every cell, seven days. And if that happens, every single cell in your body changes, are you still Tony Darnell? Yes. That's because a great everything question. I had on the table was Tony Darnell, but now all of that is gone. That's that and that is my point exactly. That is right. Absolutely great point. That what is it? I mean, if you took a snapshot of all of our biology at any given moment, that will not be the same seven days later. It will yeah. be a completely different set of cells. And it's not the same seven minutes later. You know, it changes all the time. We are changing all the time. Yes, and so, yeah, I mean, so what are we if not the sum of our parts? But clearly you're still Tony Darnell. So that's right. What the hell is going on? Because chemistry is telling me that's wrong. That's so, my point. Yeah, yes, and you're right. And it makes and what does that lead to? Well, gosh, maybe maybe the soul idea isn't so crazy, right? Um, I can say no more about it than that. But if there just seems like that it's not enough to add all this stuff up and get a person, you've got to take many more things into account uh, about what we mean when we say I am me. And uh, that's not a, it's not a trivial question at all. And so getting back to the question we were discussing, if you do all of this into a an electronic device, you transfer this process uh, into an electronic device. What does that do to our identity? What does it mean about who we are? And are we still even human anymore or are we something else? And is it a, a, a natural course of evolution? These are all valid questions. I happen to think it would be a disaster uh, to try and defeat our biology in this way. Um, I disagree with Ray Kurzweil on a great many things, and that's one of them. But um, I think that we might be able to be something else entirely, but we certainly aren't going to be who we are now if we did something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think the other, the other piece of this is that you know, and that this is the really challenging piece when we're talking about chemistry and, and foundational understanding is that it may not even matter because I think what makes Tony Darnell more than the cells are the neural networks, the firings, right? And those can change 
very quickly. They they can snap out of existence the the second after they fire. Like we know that if you don't use those neural networks, that they change. You use it or lose it, right? Is um, the science of Not all of neuro- it, but a lot of it does. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but if any of it does, it was my point. If any of it does, if any of it goes away, does your identity remain? Of course it does. But if you take that neural network out of Tony and put that into the robot that we're talking about now. Is the robot Tony? And if if it's not, why? Yeah, and I think if it is, it must be because then all I really am is information. Because that's what a neural network is representative of: is information in my of of my of many things, my identity, who I am, my biology, all of it. There's it's a snapshot of at any given moment of my identity, and so I am information. And by transferring that to a robot or a computer or whatever it is, I'm basically what we're saying is your information. That's who you are. That's the essence of who you are. And all this other biological stuff we've been talking about is just a substrate upon which your information rides. <laughs> and uh, that would be the, how I would conclude that uh, set of thinking, because if all we are is our synapses, our thought processes, then then all we really are is, is information. And that's why I said earlier, you know, you just said, well, that's the essence of what we are. And that's why I said earlier, existence precedes essence, right? And if we understand that, if we if we know that, then the only way that we're going to answer this who, how, when, what, where, and then ultimately why is by looking as far away from ourselves as we possibly can to understand the things around us, to understand our place. And I think it starts there. And I think that is why astronomy and you know, philosophy are not only, you know, I think people, they're not only related. I think that they are dependent on each other entirely and that neither of them achieves anything without the, the other. You know, ultimately, I think the job of astronomy is to serve philosophy, not the other way around. And I know that astronomers would disagree with me, but the goal is always coming back to human experience. You cannot get away from it because what we are is our experiences, is what makes you Tony, is that, you know, that, you know, uh, network, that neural network and the, the, it's not just the cells, it's not the physical components that you're not the sum of your parts. You are those experiences. You are the personality. You are all of these things. And those things may be dependent on chemicals. You know, it could be, you know, oxytocin, it can be all of these different chemicals that we know change the way that we feel about things. But you are more than the sum of your parts, and we can prove that pretty easily to ourselves. And so if we know that existence precedes essence, then we also have to kind of give in to the fact that astronomy serves this philosophical question. Looking away is the only way we're ever going to find out where we actually are, or what we actually are. Yeah. I love that, man. I, I love, I love this stuff. Um, yeah. And I think, uh, it certainly drives what we do. Philosophy does. It drives our, our, our interest in doing this for sure. So, wow. All right. Well, we are, um, where are we on this thing? I'm not even supposed to be on this stream today. I know. Well, you... <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You are. But but I want to thank you for showing up. And we got um, I think we got a great podcast episode coming here. So this was this was good. I really appreciate you taking time out. Yeah. Tony's <laughs> neural network is conserved. That's right. The vast reaches. 
it is could definitely conserved. When one neuron is born, one dies. Actually, it's probably, it's probably the older I get, it's probably not conserved. Every one that's born, just, ten probably die. Especially if I'm drinking a lot of scotch. Just throw Tony's network on a floppy disk and <laughs> you could, you're you good know, to go. You could, you know, one point four four megabytes would fit on it would fit on there. <laughs> just, I'm gonna get a shirt made. It's it's just Tony Darnell, just a floppy disk with arms and legs and Tony's face on the front. <laughs> if I got that shirt made, would you guys would you guys buy that shirt? <laughs> and it just says clear skies now. Floppy network. Tony. Floppy Tony. <laughs> Uh, no, what, you have what, to make it a you have to make it like a floppy disk with little like uh, pipe cleaners for arms and legs so that it jiggles around, you know, and it kind of flops around because then it will be a totally floppy Tony. I hijacked your stream, man. Get back to it. Thanks for letting right. me jump in here. And uh, we got we got the episode that we wanted to do. This is going to be a multi-part kind of thing. But hey, man, yeah. we did it. Well, thanks, Dustin, for stopping by. This has been a great conversation. And on behalf of Dustin Gibson, I want to thank you all so much for listening. And as always, keep looking up. Space Junk is produced by Deep Astronomy and sponsored by OPT Telescopes in Carlsbad, California. Please visit our website at spacejunkpodcast.com. Also, please send any questions and comments or ideas for new episodes to spacejunk at deepastronomy.com. <laughs>